Just a heads up, y'all, this episode contains mature content and potty mouth language that you might not want your mama or little kids to hear. But the story is a doozy, so you might want to put on headphones or save it for later. Welcome to the All Y'all Podcast. I'm Sarah Abair, and I'm here with just a roaring crowd of crickets here in the All Y'all Podcast studio. Let's listen. It's really late at night when we're recording this, yes. so please bear with us. And it's July in Louisiana, and the crickets are so hot that they're trying to get into the house. Um, and I'm Chris J. Sarah and I produce All Y'all Independently in Shreveport, Louisiana, where we are currently preparing to host our first live storytelling event of 2019. It's called Wildcard 2. That event is coming up this Friday night, July 26th at RSVP in Shreveport. Wildcard events feature storytellers whose names are drawn from a hat literally moments before they're expected to tell a story on stage. These things are always a blast. They're equal parts house party and storytelling event. And if you don't want to tell a story, you can nominate someone else to tell a story in your place. Tickets are just $15 and you can grab them online right now at allyallblog.com. I really hope to see y'all there. See what I did there? (laughs) (laughs) It never gets old. (laughs) So this episode of the podcast is really special to us because it features storyteller Michael Chisholm recorded live at the East Bank Theater in Bossier City all the way back in March 2016. And Michael is literally one of my favorite people on the planet. And you could hear a pin drop as Michael shared his story of growing up gay in the Deep South in the home of a First Assembly God pastor. And if you think you've heard this kind of story before... Let's just say it may not go the way you're anticipating. But before we hear Michael's story, we want to take a moment to thank our season sponsor, Marilyn's Place. This past Mardi Gras season, Sarah and I learned about a secret menu item at Marilyn's Place that kind of blew our minds. You can order their beignets, which are already good as they are, but you can order them Mardi Gras style. Marilyn's Place already serves, frankly, the best beignets in town. But for the Mardi Gras style beignets, Boz stuffs these beignets with cookie butter and that's right before they go into the fryer so when they come out it's all like gooey and delicious it's like molten cookie lava so good they're absolutely unbelievably delicious and available even when it is not mardi gras so if you're just like trying to like indulge on an average wednesday you can get those then so order some during your next visit to maryland's place and tell boz and his gang of merry pranksters thanks for supporting all y'all Now let's hear Heavenly Father, Michael Chisholm's epic story of how divine intervention shaped the course of his father's life and ministry. Michael deftly weaves together three generations of different perspectives on loving your kids. And afterwards, you'll get to hear a bonus interview with Michael that's all about that. Michael's story begins in the Dust Bowl of Oklahoma, where we meet his father as he's lying on top of the chicken coop. The uh, dirt devil that was dancing had the weirdest look on his face, and it was because he was all by himself. The, uh, the stillness in the air that night was, would have been disconcerting, but there was so much peace to it. The Dust Bowl, Oklahoma, wasn't quite so dusty tonight. It was quiet. Even the chickens, they didn't stir, except for that sleepy chicken noise that's so weird. As, uh, as a young man shimmied his way up to the top of the coop and laid down. He stretched his arms and legs out in a big X, and he thought, man, I've grown. And we knew he would grow a little longer. At 14, he had sprouted several inches that year. And he laughed and thought about how one day he could hang his feet and his hands off each corner of that house and what that must look like to everyone below. This was his spot. 
You couldn't call it secret because everybody knew where it was, but once those feet and hands are dangling, it's not like it would be secret anymore. So he went there to hide. I mean, he was the middle son of five boys, and the two above him were assholes. And um, the two below were nags. So he would go and hide, and, but they knew where he was, and they just didn't care, or they were too small to get to it. So it wasn't really a hiding spot. That's not really good either. And when you're in the, the dust of Dust Bowl, Oklahoma, refuge doesn't really work either. The sun is beating down on you. From where he is, he can see everything. So refuge doesn't work. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you to stop for a second. Close your eyes and think of the biggest sky full of stars. And think of the moon. And think of a night that is the darkest you've ever seen, but you don't know it because it's so bright. Open your eyes. And you're a boy stretched out an X, and you don't get a shit about that sky. <laughs> you've seen it a lot. Because that night, he had crawled up the side of that building and found himself a place, and he needed to have a conversation with God. He had found a sanctuary. Joe Chisholm, at 14, had found a sanctuary, and it wouldn't be the last one that he was in that was just his. And that's where that story ends, because I pieced that story together from stories when people would say, Pastor Chisholm, when did you know you were going to be called to preach? And he would say, I was laying on top of the chicken coop, and God told me I was going to do it. And I would think, wow, God talked to you, wow. Or, or during times when my mother's illness was so crazy, or we were financially unsound, or something was happening, or, or, um, or my dog ran away, and he would say, hey, listen, when I was 14, God told me about preaching, your mom, your sister, you, the dog's going to be fine. He loves us. He would have told me about all of that except for us. So that story I just completely made up, <laughs> completely, it's not even true. At 18 years old, my life fell apart in so many ways, I couldn't even begin to tell you. It was, I think I was four or five people that never were one person. It, um, it looked so foreign to me to try to put it all back together. I was 18 and my mother's health went nuclear. And my grandmother's health went nuclear. I moved from one church where my father was the pastor because he couldn't do it anymore to a larger church where for the first time in my entire life, I heard the wonderful rousing sermons of homosexuality is wrong. Adultery is wrong. Everything is wrong. I didn't hear the words hellfire and brimstone until I was 18 years old. And it's not because I didn't know the Bible, because I'd read the Bible front to back four times by the time I was 18. So I knew all the facts. I was a quiz bowl star, you know? But I didn't hear any of that, and I didn't know any of that. I had the prettiest girlfriend in, in the church, because I sang, man, and in the South, that's currency, you know? <laughs> And I'm a good-looking guy, so, and, you know, it, and the fact that we didn't do anything before we were married, or that was easy for me, <laughs> you know? I just didn't know why. So I begin to wrestle with all these things because I've met a boy named Ryan at Centenary College. He's 18, he is better-looking than I am, and just as dumb and country and loving, and... I took a car ride to see my grandmother, my dad's mom, and almost, I, I didn't even ask her, but she started a story the first night. I sat by her bed, and she just said, well, let me tell you this story. And her story went like this. I'd woken up, and I was still in my nursing gown, and I thought, oh my God, I just left Joe on top of the chicken coop. Crap, I've gotta go check on him. I came outside, and normally it's really dark, and I just feel my way in the darkness to the coop, but I can see it clear as day out there, and I thought, okay. <laughs> And I wandered out in my stocking feet because I hadn't even taken off my hose yet. 
And I get to it, and I say, Joe? And he says, yeah. But when he rolled over and put his face over, she saw it for the first time. She saw a smile that she had never seen before on her son. He said, Mom, God just told me what my life was going to be like. Do you want to hear? And she said, get your ass down. We're going in the house. It's 3 in the morning. you got school and work. And put him to bed. She told me that she had been laying in bed all night tossing and turning because she really did want to know what God said. She was kind of mad at herself. She got up extra early to make breakfast for him, maybe have a conversation, and he was gone already. She was a nurse at the local hospital and probably had made some mistakes that day because she was thinking about what God had said to her son. And on the way home, she finally got to hear what God had told her boy. And she told me that in that moment, she knew that as a mother, that she had to do everything in her power to make sure that her boy got to do all those things because that's what God had said. To which I said, well, what the hell did God say? God, nobody's told me anything. You know what I mean? I don't, what's going on? And she said that, um, you're going to be a preacher. You're going to meet the most beautiful woman. You have a daughter first, and four years later, you have a son. So your life is taken care of, and now it's all hard work for you. But I'm going to be with you. I guess in that moment, um, it didn't hit me yet. But it started to kind of wait on me, the way the story came together, the first part to the second part. But that wasn't the whole story yet. So I came home, and uh, falling in love with this boy. So in love. No idea. And so I did what any um, college-age boy would do when he's got questions about sexuality. I just stole a book from the library. <laughs> and um, told, told Ryan, I've got this book, and we're going to read it together later. But I've got to do this and whatever. And I, then I hid it in my bedroom where everyone hides everything they don't want found right under their mattress. <laughs> And uh, I leave the house, and I come back, and I turn the corner to my room, and I see this silver book on the table with a little plastic library cover and the words homosexuality in black on it, really large. And I'm like, holy shit. And my heart goes into my throat, and I almost shit my pants. And I go, and I'm shaking, and then as I reach for it, I see right here two other books, and there's a piece of paper, and it says, from the desk of Reverend Joe Chisholm. And I pick it up, and it says, son, you obviously have some questions, and I can't, I really don't have any of the answers. I really don't. But I've got you a book, and one of them is about homosexuality, just black and white science, and the other is our faith in homosexuality. But I want you to know that I've bought those two books too, and I'm reading them right now. And uh, if you have questions, we can talk about it. I'm happy to help you figure it all out. And uh, my throat was, my heart was still in my throat. And I, I don't think I shut my pants really. <laughs> But I don't really know because I was just like grabbed that shit and ran. <laughs> and so I get to Ryan's room at Centenary College and, and uh, I tell him the story. He is so bolstered by my story that we get on the phone to call his parents. He's going to tell his parents in Texas all about it. And he gets on the phone and I can see his mom and dad in other rooms because I'm old. So, you know, where she's on one phone in one room and on the other and, and they're talking. And, and Ryan and I have the phone between us. You know, we're like, oh my gosh. And, and it's so wonderful. It was like, I don't know, in 92, nobody knew to be hateful. Y'all figured it out, though, so good job. <laughs> and, um, and so I, it was like, you know, we were just so happy. You know, I mean, hung up the phone, we're going to see you next week, and we're going to say, we love Michael. They all love Michael. You know, we pick up, and we start to look through some of the books and whatever, and we did page 37, 36, 29, 42, <laughs> and we tried page 46, and no one should do page 46 ever. <laughs> we just shouldn't do page 46. I never came out to my father. I didn't have to. He just embraced Ryan and embraced me. And, and I never stopped going to church, and I never stopped singing, and I never had this break where it was suddenly I was terrible. There was never that conversation. I never had to have that with him. And 
The only person who ever mentioned it was my mother, God rest her soul. And she said, I shouldn't say this, Michael. That Ryan is a good-looking boy. <laughs> I said, okay. A couple years later, we lost my mom. We lost the women in our family. We lost each other. But we continued on. And during that time, our faith was really never something we, that we lost. And it was something that I was never taught or shown by my father in any way whatsoever. And I met my husband, and I didn't believe in marriage because I was old enough to never have that option to believe in and make it something I wanted to dream and do. And I met this coal miner's daughter from Pennsylvania, and he wanted a white wedding. And so we planned this wedding at my house, and we invited everyone to come, all friends and family, except for my father, because I decided that it was a bridge too far for this Assembly of God minister man to continue to take um, barbs and arrows for me. It was too much. I, you know, it just, it just seemed right. I'm logical. I was right. And the day of the wedding comes, and the phone rings, and it's my sister. And I'm like, hey, girl, you're on your way? And she's like, oh, my God. And I knew exactly. I was like, oh, my God, you told Dad. Oh, my God, you didn't tell Dad? I didn't tell, I didn't tell Dad. Why didn't you tell Dad? I don't know. Boop, boop, boop. Hey, Dad, what's going on? Like, nothing's wrong. And he just says, hey, son, I didn't tell you. I'm sorry. No, no. Um, would, would you like me to be there today? Tell me if you don't. I mean, if you didn't tell me because you don't want me to be there, then... Uh, I won't, but would you like me to? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, I'm on my way. Stood next to me and was my closest thing to a best man. Well, he is the best man I know. So, yes, he was my best man that day. Now, a few years later, when Shane and I fell apart, really nicely, he's lovely, I love him. I was sitting on the couch across from my father and my stepmother, and uh, I was telling them the story of us falling apart. So I'm sitting there, and I'm just broken, and, the, and my dad says, well, son... And I'm just like, oh, give it to me. God doesn't bless us. I know, which is stupid. You know, I should have known better. And he said, now you just need to tell me how to pray. You know, because if we, if we, we want to pray that you and Shane restore your marriage, we believe in marriage, and we believe God can do that. We'll do that for you. But if you want us to pray that God will heal your heart and that both of you can move forward, then we'll do that too. You just tell me what you want. And I, and I, like, now I was like, <laughs> to seven months ago. I don't really think about it when people text me and say, your post on Facebook is ridiculous, because <laughs> my posts on Facebook are ridiculous, everyone. <laughs> Let's just, just so you know. I'm aware. It said, your stepmother saw a post on Facebook, and she's worried it's going to, to cause some problems at the church. Well, my stepmother has not always been my favorite person in the world, so of course I was like, you tell that bitch to shut up. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, I was livid. I was furious. I don't know what was wrong with me because I, I, I wanted to just say, you know what, guys? Get the fuck over it. I'm a Christian and I'm a homosexual and that's just the way it is. And you can't change that. There's nothing that you can do to change that. We all need to just, and I was just, and I just said, you broke my heart today. I can't even talk to you. I'm just tired of, tired of that. You know, I'm sorry you had this, I'm sorry you've had to deal with this. And um, of course my father's text message was like, please forgive me. <sighs> In 15 minutes, they were sitting at my house, and I promise you, they don't drive that fast. <laughs> we live far, and they were there. And they sat across from me, and they said, we're sorry, but you misunderstood. Let us finish. And I said, well, okay. There's a young man at our church that you know, and you met several weeks ago, and he, turns out, he has a husband. 
that lives in Jefferson, and we met the husband last week, and, and Bond plays the piano and sings, and everyone just loves him, and he's your friend on Facebook, and so you wrote an article, there's an article, and you put it, and he tagged it, and suddenly your stepmother and one of her friends could see everything. Now, we're just worried, because if you're friends with him, and y'all are so open about things, because obviously he has had the same experience with Christ that you have, we're afraid some people in our church aren't going to like that. We've had some lesbians in our church before, some gay people, and, and they've said hateful things in their prayers, like, dear Lord, thank you for this offering, and burn all the queers, amen. You know, when people would leave the church, and they'd still be in the community, and my dad would reach out to them, but they didn't know how to do that, how to fix that, and, and so they wanted to have a conversation with me because there was someone in their church that they wanted to protect <laughs> and give a safe space to <laughs> I felt like an asshole for a minute. And I had the conversation with my father for the first time. I had four opportunities at least before to judge him incorrectly and to ask the question I wanted to ask and say the things I wanted to say to my father. So first of all, when you have opportunities to say the things you need to say to the people that you love, please take them because he'll keep giving you those opportunities until you get, get to do that. And your life will be a little bit better if you just do it a little earlier. And I didn't do that. And this was the day I was not going to let it happen again because I had this to say, and I just said, really sorry. You, uh, you got to be a teacher and a preacher, and you got to have my mom, and you know, my mom, and you got to have my sister, and then four years later, you got to have me, and then you get to be a farmer, cowboy, army captain, assembly of God preacher, and your son is this. And you've never let me know it, but I've heard people discounting you because of it. So I'm just really sorry. I, I don't know what to say. And he said, who told you that story? And I said, well, Grandma. He was like, please let me tell you the real story. And I said, okay. He said, the reason I was there that night was because I'd had enough. I crawled up and was like, God, get me the hell out of Dust Bowl, Oklahoma. I cannot stand it here. My father is mentally ill and physically ill. And the, the way that illness just makes your homesick, too, if you're not careful, it makes everyone sick, and I didn't want that for me anymore. I had to get out. I thought, I've got to get out, but I can't leave my mom because he's so abusive, and he's so mean to her, and he's not a good husband to her, and I, I don't know what to do, so I need a way out, God, and, and I, I just need something. And, and he says, you know, you're going to have the best life, Joe. You're going to get out. You're going to preach my word, and you're going to have this lovely wife, this, these two kids, and all these things. And he said, I don't want any of that. I don't want to be a dad like him. I, I'm afraid to. I cannot be. And God said, you know, everything you're going to need you'll have. You'll be ready. And he said, you know, when your mom got sick, I knew how to make the house happier. You know, I knew how to not focus on it. I knew how we could, could just live through it and do better than we had in my life. But I could do that. I could be a good husband. I, I'd seen it. I knew how not to be. I could choose it. I was the middle son of five boys. I was my dad's least favorite, he said. And every day from the time they re realized I was smarter or less physical, my dad called me a faggot. He called me a homo, told me I was a woman. I wasn't worth it. He didn't want me for a son. So when I knew about you, I was not going to raise someone to feel ashamed of any of that. So how, how else could I treat you as a child? How else could I respond to you as a child? My father didn't just blow my expectations out of the water every time because they were terrible expectations. He rewrote the expectations. Like, I was like, you just, did you just heal? Is that a miracle? 
Because he knew how it felt. And he said, you know, and people ask me over the years, how is it you reconcile your faith and be a preacher and all these things that the word of God tells you to do? And he says, you know why? Because I was 14 years old. When God taught me the lesson, I was going to need to have the son that I was going to have. I've never heard a better rendition of before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Because he, before he formed you, he gave you me to get ready for you. And I'm here and I'm your dad. And you're going to be just fine. To which my um, stepmother said, yeah, yeah, let's talk about the church and how we're going to protect that guy. <laughs> because obviously, we just get rid of one, the other two or three pop up. You guys are like the Hydra. <laughs> it's true. In my life, I didn't have every piece to every story. I had a little bit from here that I'd made up, a little bit of my grandmother's, a little bit of things along the way that I, I'd heard. And at 42 years old, I heard... The, the rest of it. And it's not the end of that story, but it is certainly a story that changes me from here on. And I'd asked the questions earlier, I would have had all of it earlier and would have been able to move forward and had a different story than I had. I've got a great life. And the story continues. It also continues with you because you've heard that story and you can move it any way you want to in your own life. You know, everyone talks about faith and how it is I can be who I am. I, obviously, I had no choice but to, to love God and to, and to be this. A lot of people in the world have problems where their father was so despicable or terrible or the men in their lives were so bad that they couldn't even begin to imagine a loving father or a heavenly father. And I'm that person whose father just made it impossible not to believe in God and the divine father. Today, more than ever before, please hear everyone's story. Stop and listen. Ask why. We're losing people left and right because we don't care about those stories. That was Michael Chisholm sharing one of the most intensely personal stories that we've ever heard at an All Y'all Live event. A few years have passed since that story was recorded, so we reached out to Michael for an update on how things are going between he and his dad. But before we get to hear that, we need to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Maccentric. The truth is, y'all, I have a really old iMac. It's nearly old enough to buy beer, as a matter of fact. And one day soon, I'm going to have to replace it. When that time comes, you can bet your sweet iOS that my first step will be calling Mac-centric. Not only are they Shreveport's locally owned Apple premium service provider, they can help you configure and order the right Apple product to fit your needs, whether that's a MacBook, an Apple Watch, an iPad, or Apple TV. Learn more about all of the services that they provide at maccentric.net. As you heard in this story, uh, Michael Chisholm has an incredibly strong presence. He's a vocal advocate and a leader in the LGBTQ community of Shreveport Bossier. He's led rallies, vigils, fundraisers, and he's never afraid to speak uncomfortable truths about the challenges that we face in Shreveport, Louisiana. Somehow, though, he manages to do all this with one of the biggest, warmest smiles in town. Michael recently joined Chris and I for a conversation about forgiveness, community activism, and self-care. So here's our chat. So how is your dad? How's he doing? He's doing well. He's had some health issues in the last year and a half, too. He fell um, through the floor in his attic um, to 20 feet to the concrete. and and uh, But the man is a, he's a miracle. Just a few little hairline fractures. A year later, he's on the treadmill. He's back doing what he's doing, so... Uh, we're very fortunate. And you've spent a lot of time with him as he's been recovering, right? Yeah. You know, um, one of the things 
this year was important was after seeing so many people in my world disappear and people lose their parents or getting to that age or I am, it was important for me to spend some time with him when I still had him. This past year has been really wonderful getting to know him better and better. The most amazing thing is that um, when I met him, because I was born, he was a minister. He's had a whole life before that where he was a real person uh, doing a lot of crazy stuff. And I was like, there's no way you did that. But I'm loving learning it. What's the craziest thing you learned? My dad was in the army. And so he spent some years in Korea. And when he got out of Korea, they sent his entire group to Hawaii to decompress. So I find this picture of these, you know, army men all in very small green swimwear on a beach with these women and children and all over them. They're laughing, giggling at him. And of course, I'm like, hmm, wow, look at this picture. That guy. <laughs> and then I'd see someone with my father's face and I'm like, oh, my God, what are you doing on this beach with this woman and these children and all these people in a Speedo? And he's like, I wasn't always a preacher, you know, and I was like, Dad, I don't know. You know, we, we've we've spoken a lot about your your really unique and inspiring relationship with your father. Obviously, that was the heart of the story that you told at all y'all. But I, I take a lot of cues from you as a local leader um, on social issues and uh, with, with everything from, um, you know, when we need to come together to mourn or if we need to come together to rally, if we need to come together to say this won't stand, um, usually... When I need to know what I need to be doing, I look at you. And I know that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> I think probably a lot of the community kind of looks at you that way. I do think, I do wish you'd say something about taking that time to recharge your batteries so that you can be better for the fight ahead. Sure. Um, you know what I'm learning, and I'm learning it right now. So it's, uh, it's not something that's um, set in stone, even in me. I'm really just this gay guy fighting for my own life in the south it's it's just so it's a i'm just you're there with me because you're there with me you know lgbt people are in the room because they're there too and i'm just trying to say hey i don't it's not fair to me i want to be free i want to have all these things and so i i needed to take some time to decide what was really important what was really worth fighting for me as a 45 year old gay man in the city and also what I really loved and what I really wanted to preserve and see. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to bring 100% to everything else that comes up. And when my friends call for aid and help, I will be there. Um, but I had to step back and say, I, I, I don't have anything left to give. And all I have left is me. And I've got to find that. I've got to find that, that, that space. And um, I need to read some books. I need to find my laugh again. I need to, um, I used to, I mean, I have the greatest giggle sometimes. And I missed it. It was something that I had forgotten. Um, everything had become work. It was a means to an end. I was at an event to, to so that I could gain favor. I, I grew up, my father said, it, you know, 18, if you're going to come out at Treeport and be out, then you're going to have to work harder, faster better than everyone else and I really worked at a deficit for a long time thinking I've got to do better I've got to do good if I make one mistake people are going to stop I'm going to lose my job I'm going to lose my favor I'm going to lose all these things and it turns out that I um turns out number one that people in this city are really really great and you know they 
weren't uh, weren't as nefarious and and um, black hatted as I thought they were for me. They really wanted me to succeed and wanted me to be happy and wanted me to to be a part of this community. I wasn't working for that love, but I never thought about it as why I do what I do. You know, I just got up every day and did it to hear people say kind things about me and talk about who they believe I am is daunting. It's humbling, but I needed to take you know some time off in 2018 to make sure I honored that with the best of me. And uh, it's that that kind of respect and uh, is worth the work. So I needed to do that. Thanks for listening to another episode of the All Y'all Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please consider sharing it with your friends on social media. That's pretty much the only way uh, the word gets spread about the work that we're doing and and everything that's going on with All Y'all. Also, consider leaving a review of All Y'all in iTunes. Those reviews just take a moment and they help others discover the podcast. If you're interested in issues facing the LGBTQ community, you should make some time to listen to another episode called Normal, featuring a storyteller named Kyle. That story absolutely brought the house down when Kyle told it live. Just visit allyallblog.com and search for Normal, or you can scroll back on our podcast feed in Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Spotify and find it. And don't forget, we've got tickets to our next live event, Wildcard 2, which is coming up this Friday, July 26th at RSVP in Shreveport. Those tickets are on sale now at www.allyallblog.com. There'll be impromptu live storytelling, musical interludes by Nate Tremay, and a cash bar. Please join us. All right. Thanks for listening, y'all. And good night to these beautiful crickets. Let's, let's let them sing us to sleep.